Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. Dr. Christian Conti is my guest today on the Sidewalk Talk podcast. He's a licensed professional counselor, a certified domestic violence counselor, and a certified level five anger management specialist. He's one of a handful of people in the world who have really reached this level of certification for anger management. He was a resident therapist on VH1's Family Therapy. He was a co-host of USA Network's The Secret Life of Kids and co-host of Spike TV's Coaching Bad with Football Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. He currently applies his yield theory in maximum security prisons throughout Pennsylvania. His new book is called Walking Through Anger, A New Design for Confronting Conflict in an Emotionally Charged World, and it was recently released by Sounds True. That's the plug, but I'm going to tell you something. What a love of a human being. This guy has done all this TV stuff, and I think it's easy for us to assume that because somebody has, has gotten some level of recognition that they're not down to earth, you are going to, well, my prediction is, because I certainly did, being on the receiving end of a conversation with Dr. Conti, you're going to fall in love with this man's authenticity and heart for service. No joke. And he is so in it with you. I... I'm just really excited for you to, to be in connection with him as I was. So without further ado, Dr. Christian Conti. So Dr. Christian Conti, I am so thrilled. I think I said to you before we joined this conversation that I was completely geeking out on your book. <laughs> I'm so thankful that you are, are reading it and seeing it. I'm, honestly, I'm seeing people make the transformational changes that I truly, genuinely intended. So I'm so thankful. So you're kind of like this muscly guy that is a psychologist that goes into prisons and talks with people about anger. and. Do people stereotype you at all and imagine, oh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Conti, yeah, he knows about anger because look at all those muscles that he's got. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's funny because most people, I'm very disarming for many people, and I love that. Like, I, I've never been pretentious. I've never liked pretentiousness. Um, I've always said it doesn't matter my degrees or accolades. It only matters whether or not what I say actually resonates with a person. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, to be honest, like the one time I was in a prison, I was in this maximum security prison and they always take me to like the most extreme cases, the most extreme things. And I was in this one maximum security prison and they took me to see the best fighter in this prison. They said, this guy is so scary that literally no one will even remotely challenge him, not even with multiple people because he's so scary. 
he's like this incredible fighter and he had been, he's serving multiple life sentences. So I go to sit down with this guy and I walked in the room and I literally wasn't even in the room with him for 60 seconds. And he said, uh, man, I could tell you're, you, you know what you're talking about. And I said, <laughs> I said, my man, I appreciate you so much, but how in the heck could you tell that? Like, I literally just sat down with you. I didn't even say anything. He said, because you dress like crap. I'm censoring what he actually said. He said, because you dress like crap. He said, most people come in with suits and ties and they try to be this or that. He said, but you dress such like crap that you must know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you must know what you're talking about. because that's uh, and But I loved it because he, he, I mean, that's really where I got to in my life, which is mm -hmm. I don't need to put on a facade for people. What doesn't matter what I look like. It matters what I'm saying is what I'm saying does it resonate with you? And if it doesn't, then throw it out. If it does, let's move forward with it. So I love that because I hear what you're bringing to the fore is so much authenticity. You're saying, look, I'm not going to try to pretend or pull one over on you. I'm showing up as me and here's what I have to offer. Yes. Yes. That's it. Oh my goodness, Tracy. That's it. Because if you practice the message that you're offering others, they can see that. And as easily as it is for us to spot a fake in others, what we often fail to realize is that others could spot when we're not being genuine too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, do you, have you always been this kind of genuine person? Um, how did you, how did this kind of come, come to being and how did you develop into an expert in anger? Like, who are you, Dr. Well, Conti? <laughs> I love that. You're awesome. So I think in terms of the genuineness, I actually, I just was talking about this yesterday. So I'm going to throw this out there. I don't even think I've shared this story before, but I was, I was 12 years old and uh, my parents had taken me to this wedding of people that we knew. And I guess they were really well to do. It was in the South and they were, um, they were all extremely wealthy. And so I'm, I'm at this wedding and I'm thinking I'm 12 years old. And I didn't feel comfortable at all there. And I went back at one point to go into where the kitchen was, where the workers were, and they were watching this game. And it was a game I was really interested in. So I sat and I talked with them and I listened to their perspective on the people who were out in the other room, in the wedding room. And um, it was very fascinating for me because I was like, my goodness, I know I'm technically supposed to be here with the people who are wedding, but I don't vibe with them at all. Like I kind of vibe with the people who are down to earth. And so that experience really shaped me because I thought I never want to have this pretentiousness of saying, well, because of some status, I'm somewhere. Um, I really wanted it to be about who I am. Mm. But so I, and I'm, I'm actually grateful that you, I don't know, your energy, your vibe, the way you asked that kind of let me tell you about that story, but I've really never shared that. Um, the other, the other pieces, when I sat down to write walking through anger and I said, what really shaped me to be where I am there too two profound experiences from my youth that really shaped me. One, when I was, uh, my dad was an earth scientist. So he taught uh, geology, um, earth science. And I said to him once when I was a haughty, know-it-all uh, little crap teenager, I said to him, hey, dad, <laughs> seriously, honestly, that's what I was. I was like embarrassed by it. But I said, hey, dad, why do you like to study rocks? You know, what a crap question for a kid. Anyway, my dad looked at me with all the love and kindness and patience in the world. And he said, well, if you only live on one planet your whole life, don't you think you ought to get to know that planet? And I was like, wow, 
that makes sense. <laughs> and so later on, when I was in college and I was looking for a course of study and I was lost, I thought about my dad's advice, but I took it to another level and I thought, well, if, only, if I'm only ever going to live with myself, don't I think I ought to get to know myself? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what led me to psychology. The other aspect is this, and, and I really appreciate you asking it, because the other aspect was this. My mom is a uh, wonderful human being. I love my mom, just, just beaming with love. But my mom is a very strict disciplinarian. Mm -hmm. So many kids, she was a high school English teacher. And many kids dreaded having her because she would give homework every single night. The other <laughs> side of that was she would correct it every night and give it back to the kids the next day. But anyway, my mom had so much discipline and she said to me, there, I grew up in the 80s where there were lots of fist fights and people would circle up and get into fights. And my mom said to me, I better never find out that you ever watched a fight. And I said, oh boy. So when people would circle up and they get in fights, I was diving in that circle to break it up and kids would be mad at me. But I would say to them, do you want to go home and face my mom? Because I certainly don't. <laughs> and so, but what she taught me early on in my life was when I see trouble, step toward it, not away from it. Mm. And I really credit my parents with so much for the way they guided me because I've spent my life, and that's why I call my book Walking Through Anger, because it's not about pretending like it doesn't exist. It's not about acting like um, it's not a big deal. It's about saying, let me step through it. Let me face it head on. So you really, it sounds like even though you were a rascally teenager, also I, had the humility had the humility to be influenced by your parents even when you were being a rascal it sounds like well, you still had the capacity to take them in and, and go hey this is interesting that's probably like a, the, the most kind view of myself i've ever heard i i, I really appreciate that because I, I don't think i've ever looked at myself with that much kind of compassion as a teenager i kind of looked at myself i still haven't kind of until this moment so you said that I kind of look at myself as like, oh, I was a, basically a rascal like that. And I, and I feel bad that I was that way. But you're right. I kind of was that way for whatever reason. And then to be able to see that and say, no, this is more meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. Connect with people and to help people, even if they're in trouble, no matter what. That, that's really what shaped me. Yeah. Yeah. I suspect he wasn't just a rascal. <laughs> um, <laughs> Look, but anger, so I got to admit something to you. I, I, I joke, actually, with folks. I say this. I said, anger is my least favorite feeling. <laughs> give, give me sadness any day over anger. But, man, anger, I'll, I, yeah, just give that one back. I, I don't think I'm alone in that. So why do we even have this feeling? Is it, is it good for anything? Like, and what are we supposed to do with it? Help us out yeah. here. No, I th no, and I kind of, I really really like that like i think that speaks to your character we don't like to be angry because it's kind of like we when we're angry we're usually angry at someone and that doesn't feel good it doesn't and for most people who are considerate and care it, it sucks when we are angry towards someone we don't even like how it feels but there it, there is a purpose to anger for sure and and anger is not wrong or bad like i really try to reach in people's hearts and have them feel this you're not wrong or bad because you feel anger. Anger can be a motivator. It can be a wonderful teacher to say, get out of this relationship or get away from this position because it's not the right position for you. And sometimes we need to get angry to, to get ourselves motivated to leave. But the other aspect, and this is the piece that I've spent as a person who specializes 
in working with people convicted of violent crimes who have done some really awful things to others, the one piece of anger that I like to highlight and really make aware for people is this. Emotions have a beginning, a middle, and end. No matter what you're feeling, no matter how intense, no matter how much anger you have, it will have a beginning, it will have a middle, it will have an end, but your actions, so emotions come and go, but actions cannot be undone. Mm -hmm. And when we shine light on that, my goodness, it really helps us live a more conscious life. Mm, yeah, because it sounds to me like there's consequences to those actions, whereas there may not be consequences if you just have a feeling. Right. Absolutely. So if I, if I lash out and I say to something, uh, let's say something really bothers you. Let's say you're listening out there and you say, well, so-and-so really bothers me. Okay, great. So let's say you, you have to tell them how much they bother you. Uh -huh. Well, you tell them okay, well, now your emotion goes away. At some point during the day, later in the day, your, your emotion is going to change. And now you can't take that back that you said that. Mm -hmm. But we want to. We want to. So we have a tendency, and this is powerful. We have a tendency to minimize the pain we cause others and maximize the pain they cause us. Right. So it's, 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 it's awakening to realize that if we're driving down the road and we cut someone off and they get mad at us. We say, oh my gosh, chill out. I, I just made a mistake. Like, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just didn't see you. But if they cut us off, oh boy, I cannot believe you did that to me. <laughs> right. We get so angry. So what is the process then for curbing those kinds of sort of energy zapping experiences that almost take over? Yeah, I think, I think the process that can be really helpful is to visualize your anger as a teacher. If, you, if, you're, if your anger was a person, or if you could personify your anger and have your anger sitting next to you, what would your anger be teaching you in this moment? Would, they, would it be teaching you about patience? Would it be teaching you about compassion? Would it be teaching you about recognizing that even though something's uncomfortable, it's not the end of the world? I mean, I think that's where we get really confused. We might think if someone disagrees with us, it's awful, and we must convince them to believe what we believe. Yeah, yeah. But the truth is, maybe it's just saying that we need to really challenge our own viewpoints. So there's like this personification of anger that you, when you do it, when you do it that way, it almost makes it seem friendlier and not so scary. Right, right. I, well, I think that's a beautiful way to say it because it's not scary. I remember one time, um, maybe about 15 years ago, I was driving down the road, and this is when I first kind of had this idea, but I was angry about something, and I thought, well, I, I want to understand this. So I visualized anger as a person in my passenger seat, mm -hmm. and for me, like, I'm, I'm into, uh, I, you know, I'm a practicing Zen Buddhist, so I pictured this kind of this Zen monk sitting in my passenger seat, person and, and I believed he was anger personified, and I said, well, what would you be telling me? And he said, well, you, you really seem to lose um, your patience very quickly. I would love for you to learn how to sit with something and realize it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And that moment was powerful for me because I was like, wait a minute, if I looked at my emotions as teachers saying, what are you going to teach me? Then I don't have to be reactive. Yeah. I can really learn from them. So you're doing this with some of the most violent criminals and teaching them how to do this. Is that right? Yes. So I work in maximum security prisons 
I work with people who have committed serial serial rapists, serial murderers, people who have done some really awful, awful things. What I've found is this, no one wakes up having this beautiful life and all of a sudden decides to hurt someone. In other words, one thing led to the next in the story of everyone's lives. And what yield theory is, this, this approach I created back in 1998, it's all about this. I love the statement, if I walked a mile in someone else's shoes, that's beautiful. But what I do is I take that to the next level and I say, if I lived every day as another person, in other words, if I had that person's cognitive functioning, which just mm -hmm. means their intellect, if I had their affective range, their ability to experience emotions, or if I had their life experiences, I think I would have made every single decision they made. And even though that's a hypothetical, even though that's nothing we can prove one way or the other, what I say is it helps me wipe away judgment and sit with people and say, look, no matter what you did in your past, I can't change a second of that. Future, that's not written yet. All I care about is this moment forward. Mm -hmm. And it's freeing for people. It's cathartic for people to say, you're not here to shame me about my past. You're here to focus on this moment and this moment forward, the only things we can actually control anyway. Mm. I can imagine that must be really relieving to have somebody who probably doesn't get treated with care because they've done some bad things or made some bad choices suddenly be treated with some real compassion, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I have found, um, I can't even describe it. I kind of really appreciate and I have a kind of an in, internal giggle inside that you would be kind enough and insightful enough to recognize that. Because the truth is like, I, I really, I've had these tremendously deep connections with people, with, with inmates, especially the work I do in the prison system. And it's because I, I think I'm, in many cases, I'm the first person in their lives who has said, I can't change your past anyway, so I'm not gonna shame you on. I can't change one sec. I don't care about what you've done. I care about what you do from this moment forward mm -hmm. and that is it is it is a release for people when they say well this guy really believes in me and i do i believe in the potential for people and i'm not naive i know that past behavior is the be best predictor of future behavior and if you know if we don't teach someone something new how can we expect them to do anything new i just believe we can teach people new things beautiful well so Help me understand what, what yield theory ultimately offers then, because it sounds like it's, it sounds very gentle. As I was reading through your, your book, it's not kind of, uh, you know, a finger wagging, like you must do this. Um, it has a, a, a gentleness to it. How does that create change in people or how is yield theory creating change in, in the people that you work with? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really great question. It's absolutely, yeah, it's not about, so the wagging the finger, so think about this. Imagine that you and I, we climbed up to the top of a mountain and we're standing on top of a mountain. Mm -hmm. And we see that there are people on the bottom of the mountain who are completely lost. And so maybe we start screaming at them. You should have gone the way we went. You, you should go this way. You shouldn't be lost right now. <laughs> <laughs> we can have all the insight in the world, but the reality is they can't even hear us. We're on the top of a mountain. <laughs> and so here's what yield theory ultimately is, Tracy. It says, when you and I are on top of this mountain, we can stand there and beat our chests and talk about how we came up the mountain and we did it right, or we can speak so that we're actually heard. And that means having the self-discipline to leave where we are 
and go meet others exactly where they are and then help guide them up the mountain from there. And that's the radical difference. It's one thing to stand on a soapbox and tell other people how they should think the way you think or believe what you believe. It's another thing entirely to go meet people where they are and actually see the world from their perspective. Mm. So how does this shift anger? Meeting people where they are, walking in their shoes, seeing the world from their vantage point. How does this begin to stem the tide of their anger? Well, it shifts anger in a very pragmatic way. Most of the time when we're angry, we want to be able to tell somebody our perspective, our side. But in yield theory, we're saying, teach me your side. So instead of resisting others, we're saying, teach me your side. I want to learn what you have to say. I'm not saying, tell me your side and I'll tell you how I'm right. I'm saying, teach me your side. I want to see the world from your eyes. And so all of a sudden, people don't have to resist they don't have to fight harder to get you to understand because you're actively seeking to understand. Mm-hmm. So the essence of yield theory is not just speaking to speak, but speaking so that you can actually be heard. From the listener's perspective, instead of having defend their, to defend their position, they're going, okay, this person, I don't have to defend myself anymore, so now I can truly explore what's going on. And yeah. so the steps, listen, the steps are the most simple, straightforward steps in the world. I often say, Tracy, like, it's easy to be skeptical of other people. It's easy, my goodness, we disagree with someone's politics or their religious beliefs. We can be skeptical of every word they say. But how often are we skeptical of ourselves, Mm -hmm. of our own egos? Mm -hmm. And this is a challenge for us because if we truly believe that we have more to learn in life, then why not be like genuinely open when someone challenges our perspective rather than angry and tied to our side. And so I, I, what I teach is this, I I think there's, it's one thing to say the words, listen, validate, and explore options. That's easy to say. It's another thing to really approach how you listen, how you validate and how you explore options. That's where the difference comes in. I was tickled when I was reading your book to see how much listening is a part of your yield theory. It's well, powerful. It, it, it is. And I think, I think that oftentimes we, get, we believe we're listening, but we're actually hearing through confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. So confirmation bias is the belief that we, if we want to hear something, we're going to hear it. <laughs> if you think someone's dumb, no matter what they say, the moment they mess up, you're going to be like, see, they were dumb. I told you. <laughs> and yep. so, so when you can learn to set aside confirmation bias or mm-hmm. hindsight bias, all these different things, and you can actually genuinely listen to people, it changes things. There's a difference, for instance, between content, the words people say, mm-hmm. and process, how they say it. Mm-hmm. So if you and I were in the middle of an argument and I said to you, you know I love you, well... <laughs> my- Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. But, but, but my words might have been technically, I love you. But later on, I go, hey, Tracy, we were in the middle of a fight. And I told you I loved you. And you're going, when did you say that? <laughs> my words might have said that, but my action, my, my process, the way I said it was a screaming angry guy. So, so it's, it, we have to learn how to discern the difference between listening for content, the words people say, 
and process how they say it. Listen, yeah. it's a skill. It takes practice to really discern what people are actually attempting to communicate. You know, and I'm connecting some dots, you know, I, I can join you a little bit in this listening realm because we've been sitting on sidewalks and you said something really sweet earlier. You said, you know, I've had some of the deepest connections with inmates and I get that you are attributing it to the fact that you're one of their only confidants and so it creates this special bond. But I don't know if you've had this experience. I have this experience since I've gotten better at my listening that when I have the humility at, to, to not only move, to remove some of my bias out of the way and let myself be utterly surprised by people, that also creates the sweetness of the connection too, because I'm in this constant state of delight, of like, I, uh, of wonder, of like, who are you? Tell me more. Oh my gosh, I don't know you, right? That's so I can imagine you do that with your inmates, right? Yes. Well, you, I love that word. The word you just used is a great descriptor, wonder. Like, think about this. Think about to every listener out there. You have people you absolutely disagree with. And if they spoke, you would only listen to them in terms of how you could correct them. I'm using air quotes here. You can't see that. <laughs> how you could correct them or how they're wrong. But if you have genuine wonder, then you're going teach me your side. Maybe you're seeing the world differently and maybe you could teach me something. That is radically different from, I know exactly the answers and you're just wrong if you disagree with me. <laughs> so yeah, I love, I, I, and so let me, let me just kind of expand because I think the universe puts us where we're supposed to be. And when you use that phrase, when I left teaching for a different career, Mm -hmm. um, my students made me a shirt they called Kantiisms, where they gave me a bunch of statements and that I tend to say. And one of the things I used to do with people is I would say, I wonder the heck out of people. In other words, by wondering what's going on, I'm not saying I know what's going on. I'm going genuinely teach me. Like, I wonder, wonder what that's like. I wonder if you could teach me. And by wondering with people, it puts us in a position of humility and genuine curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I think what that does is, so there's lots of uh, great uh, things that that does for us that we could talk about and say, okay, that's cool stuff. But on a physiological, neurological level, what approaching someone with genuineness and humility does is it circumvents, it gets around the fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. So as much as if, if a bear walked into the room right now, our amygdalae, our fight or flight response, would send message to our adrenal glands going, watch out, and would be ready to fight, flee, or freeze. The truth is, even if a bear didn't walk in the room and someone said something like, uh, Tracy, we need to talk, <laughs> that sends the same fight or flight response to our body. Yeah. And what yield theory does is it says, okay, if language can trigger that in us, let's learn how to use more accurate, balanced language to get around people's fight or flight, their defensiveness, and speak in ways that are actually heard. Oh, so now I'm understanding something. So what you're doing, I'm gonna to try to remove all my nerdy psychobabble lingo and just say it in a normal way like you do, because um, <clears throat> I can get a little nerdy sometimes. But what you're saying is when somebody is approaching 
human connection in this way. They're already calming or soothing the propensity to get angry because just by being in a state of wonder, we're less likely to get angry. That's it. I wish you could see me because I like kind of jumped when you said that. <laughs> I'm so excited because I like that's it. That is it. So think about this. Our energy impacts people. And, and I love when people are like, oh, no, I'm not causing that person to feel that way. You're not. You're not causing them to feel that way, but your energy impacts people as much as other people's energy impacts you. It's, it's unrealistic to think we don't, we're not affected by anyone or anything. So we are affected by others, and others equally are affected by us. And if we approach others with the arrogance of, I know exactly what you're thinking, I know your whole argument, I know everything about you, so I'll just let you ramble on until you shut up and then I'll speak. That people sense that. But if you approach people and say, I genuinely don't know that you don't hold the key to enlightenment. Now, my energy is not something you have to defend yourself against. Mm -hmm. My energy is something that is welcoming. And ultimately, this is what I care about. So here's how I kind of looked at this. I did an undercover study um, where I went in and I watched people who were, um, they were sentenced to anger management groups. So they would spend time in prison or jail. <laughs> they were sentenced to anger management groups. That's that was really happened. funny. <laughs> it's, but listen, it's true. It's exciting. So in, in California, in the state of California, you are sentenced after, if you commit a violent crime, when you get out of jail or prison, you are sentenced to 52 weeks of anger management. That, by the way, you have to pay for out of pocket. So imagine people coming into my groups, how angry they are. <laughs> I have to do this and I have to pay for it. But nice. if you hear my passion and my voice, it's because people would get off of my, they would finish the group, they would graduate, they would get off of parole or probation, and they would voluntarily come back to the group. And the reason I believe that they did mm. was I gave them down-to-earth practical strategies. I said, look, we're all in this life together. Um, and, and, and here's what I'm passionate about. When we start to see that the things that people go through are on a continuum, and we're all, we're all on that continuum somewhere, now instead of making it us versus them, we go, we're all in this together. Okay, maybe I didn't do that, but I did this. And, and if we really break it down, if I was in your shoes, maybe I would have done that. Mm -hmm. We just wipe away judgment. And my gosh, does that change things? Yeah, I think you're just loving people up. I think you're giving them techniques and tools that are evidence-based. But I also think you're loving them, aren't you? I am. I am. I'm giving people compassion. And, and here's the thing. The, 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 we live in a world that, you know, the fancy 75-cent word Carl Jung gave to it is, in antiadromia, we have a tendency to go from one extreme to the other. Mm -hmm. and, and so do people do this? Absolutely. So the moment I start to talk about compassion, people say, well, then you must be giving in on all the consequences, but that's not it at all. I'm all about consequences. I'm all about strict consequences. Like I think life teaches us if you do X, then this is the consequence. But just because you do X and you get this consequence doesn't mean you're a terrible person. It means you did X and this is the consequence. Mm -hmm. So I think people, especially when I get into the work I do in the prison system, you know, I go to a new prison and the first thing they hear is, well, if you're going to take time to see things from someone else's perspective, 
then you must be giving in on everything else. And I say, not at all. I'm all about I'm all about safety and consequences. I just think there's a difference between explaining behavior and excusing it. My job isn't to excuse behavior. It's simply to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. So I, I know we're kind of nearing the end of our time here. I could just go on and on with you. Um, I think I shared with you that we have this little tradition that we offer. Um, so there's 7,000 sidewalk talk listeners that sit on public sidewalks. And we've actually listened to people that were fresh from jail, had some really beautiful um, stories of folks feeling touched that someone treated them in a really kind way. So it's these people that I think have a heart a lot, a lot like your heart, Dr. Conti. Is there one piece of advice or one wish that you would offer to our listeners and you can speak directly to them? Yes. I mean, first of all, I appreciate with all my heart and soul that you go out and do that. Like, I can't thank people enough. I can't thank you enough for going out and doing that. You know, I, you know, I, I, I actually spent years where I would just go out on the streets and talk to people who are struggling with homelessness and years and years of doing that and speaking to people, countless people. Um, I think that's the most beautiful thing you can do. I think there's a tendency to go again from one extreme to the other. So we have a tendency to believe, well, if I'm listening and I'm compassionate, then everything else falls into place. But that's not true. Listening and compassion is beautiful, wonderful, essential in my view, but it's only part of the story. I let people say, I, I create a safe space so people can tell me what they want. But then I also help them recognize the reality of the world in which they live. So I say that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who have issues and dead people. So if you're alive, you have issues. <laughs> we all do. But then I also say this, there's the two kind of worlds we have. One world is what I call the cartoon world, which is people should be understanding. People should be the way I want them to be. And then there's the real world, how people actually are. Mm -hmm. And as long as you align your expectations with that cartoon world, you're going to be constantly let down. But when you can learn to align your expectations with reality, you are absolutely um, more prepared to handle whatever comes your way. Mm -hmm. So for listeners out there, for people, I mean, I think anyone out there that's sitting on sidewalks with people has got a beautiful soul and is doing some beautiful, beautiful work. I, I think it's okay to, to, to separate people from their actions and realize, look, you're not a bad person because you did this. For instance, if someone speeds down the road, that doesn't make them a bad person. But yes, they do deserve a ticket. And yes, the ticket is, you know, they should pay for that ticket. That doesn't make them a bad person. That doesn't define who they are. But consequences have, I mean, actions have consequences. And it's okay to separate people from that, but also still make people aware that if they do X, this will be the consequence. I'm not judging you. I'm just letting you know that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So there's behavior, and then there's people. And behavior isn't about the quality of that person, but they do have consequences, because sometimes they've chosen behaviors that you know, have some consequences. But I, I'm really hearing how you listen to people. You listen for who the person is underneath all that behavior. Yes, you listen, you listen, you listen, and then you validate. And, and again, it, it's how you validate. Mm -hmm. I, I always tell this story, like I say, the core of yield theory is listen, validate, explore options. 
and I was speaking a few years back and there was this woman, it's this 500 mental health specialist. And this woman came up to me at the break and she was very, very condescending and looked down on me and she said, that's your big theory, three things. And I said, yeah, but if you think about it, all Bruce Lee ever did was move, block and hit. He did pretty well for himself. So uh, <laughs> the last thing I want is in the middle of a crisis for you to have to think, what's Dr. Conti's 38 point strategy and what's page 79? No. What do you need to do? Listen, validate, explore options. And if you find people defending themselves, then come back to listening more. Come back to validating more. Instead of trying to explore options, come back to validating. Because as long as people are in the emotional center of their brain, they're not really ready to explore in-depth options. But when we can validate them until they can get that energy out and then move to the frontal cortex, the higher level thinking areas, now they're ready to explore options. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to learn to meet people where they are in terms of their stage of change. And honestly, Tracy, this is my advice for the listeners out there. If you're working with someone and you're thinking, well, I, I told them so they should know now, it's <laughs> understanding their stage of change might fluctuate not only from day to day, but from hour to hour and minute to minute. In other words, one moment they might say, yes, I very much want to do this. But an hour later, they might say, no, nah, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm good where I am. And so if you give them feedback or advice based off where they were in that one moment, you could then be disappointed when they're in a different spot. But if you're truly meeting people where they are, that means being able to adapt and be flexible and, and see where they are when they change. It's, right. It takes effort and discipline. It's worth it. What I love about this book, and I'm grateful for, uh, for Sounds True Publishing to have this book out there. I just did a week-long training with Department of Corrections employees, and they were seeing the essence of what I truly meant for this book, which is it's not about just learning intellectual knowledge. It's about a lifestyle. And the more you practice it, the more effective you become, but it's a lifelong process of looking inward. So let me kind of give you one final story. There was a monk who was walking down the street, and uh, he always had a mirror with him. And so this woman walked up to him and she said, why? I don't understand why you carry a mirror with your, I thought you were supposed to be holy. You seemed all self, self-absorbed. Well, the monk pulls out the mirror and he says, oh, this thing. He says, yeah, I carry this with me wherever I go. You see, especially when I encounter problems, because I realize when I pull this mirror out that I am both the source and the solution to my problems. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are. We're the source of when we create these problems, we, 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 just, we solve these problems, but it's inside of us. And when we can have compassion to look beyond defining ourselves by our actions and see that we're more than that, mm-hmm. now we can create a new meaning from this moment forward. Beautiful. I just so appreciated getting to connect with you for these few minutes. And I can't wait to have everybody check out your book and get lost in it the way I did. It's so fun. Thank you so much. How awesome is it that you invited me on and get a chance to talk about this? I don't take this for granted. This is a legacy book. I spent 21 years of my life devoted to this. And this is my, I've, this is my seventh book. This is like the book that is the essence of what I've created my whole life. So oh, you can tell, you can tell. Well, well Dr. Conti, thank you so much. And we will be putting lots of information in the show notes, everyone, on where you can find out more information about Dr. Christian Conti and um, also links to several of his books so you can find out more. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. 
Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.